0: You are listening to the Amateur Church Podcast, where we pursue excellence in ministry with the right motivation, for the sake of love. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm so thankful that you are on this disciple's journey with me, as this week we've been reading through Jeremiah chapter 1 through 31, looking at this people, this nation who are headed into captivity and God's uh, wrath being poured out on them and yet God's mercy to remind many of them, the remnant, that he would visit them again and save them and deliver them out of the hand of their captors. As we come to this episode, we look at evangelism from Jeremiah 1 through 31. So let me remind you, each week we look at theological truths, devotion questions, apologetics, and then evangelism, how we share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is our focus. Uh, Even though Jeremiah, like all the books we've studied thus far, are are Old Testament, and the name Jesus is not found in it, or the gospel is not seen, uh, we do see that... the the writers are pointing to a future Messiah, Jesus Christ, and His uh, gospel. And so, even in Jeremiah, we see hints of the gospel. Evangelism means to share the good news. and And so, think about this: if you've been tracking with me for for this week, uh, we we see this nation of Judah headed into captivity. God is promising this through the words of Jeremiah, and there doesn't seem to be any good at all. And yet. Jeremiah 29 is going to be, from 29 to 31, this section of God's evangelistic call to them. Him telling them, this is what you're going to do, and this is what I'm going to do in the midst of that. So, I want you to travel with me to Jeremiah 29, and we're going to see not just the context of how there was an evangelistic cry for them, but how this also applies to our evangelistic efforts today. Uh, Jeremiah 29, look at verse 4. It says thus says the Lord host lord of hosts the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon build houses and live in them plant gardens and eat their produce take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to your husbands that to the husbands that they may be sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. So what we get at the very beginning is God is telling them, listen, you're about to head into exile. And you need to get yourselves comfortable. You're about to go to this land. And and many had already gone in two previous deportations. And he's telling them, go ahead and make yourself ready to to stay here for a while. You're going to be here for a long time. Now, I I want you to see why this is important because... uh, Many times we think of, of the captivity as just a moment in time where they they suffered for a little bit. God says, you're going to be here 70 years, meaning you're going to raise your children here. You're going to raise your grandchildren here. And if you're still alive, then you'll get to come out. But most of you, you're going to die here. This is going to be the case. And so build your house, plant your vineyards and call this place home for for a little bit. Now, I, I want you to see what's going on because God is telling them, though this is the case, you are being uh, you you are being uh, punished in this way for not letting the land lay fallow and for rebelling and rejecting me. He says, but I am still going to bless you in the midst of this. Pick up with me. He says in verse ten, for thus says. The, the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word. There, there's that word, good word to you, to bring you back to this place. And here's the verse everybody knows, uh, but many times without the context. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. So I want to give you five major thoughts of how we can take captivity and trust the good news of God in the midst of that for them and then for us today. So the very first thing you've got to do, how, how, how do we hear this as an evangelistic good word? Well, number one, know the one who is speaking. It, again, verse four, thus says the Lord, of hosts. They were to understand that this was God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. This was not a a pagan God. This was not a, a king or ruler. This was God, the creator of the universe who had chosen them as his own people, provided for them, taken them out of Egypt, set them up in Canaan, given them kings, and now, as he was punishing them, he was saying, listen, I will visit you again, but you've got to be disciplined. So, uh, for us today, every time we read the Word of God, we've got to understand, know the one who is speaking. So I want to apply this mainly to the Great Commission where we're told to go uh, and make disciples. God, Jesus Christ says at the very beginning, Matthew 28, 18, he says, All authority has been given to me under heaven and earth. Now, now, now what does that mean? That when we know the one speaking, we know he has complete authority. When we're called to evangelize and go, uh, just like Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses. Whose witness? Christ's witnesses. And so he has all authority. So we know the one who is speaking. Second, he says, build houses and live in them. Okay, Plant the gardens, eat the produce. He's saying, be active in good works. Be be a contributing member of society. Build houses. Get, get yourself ready. You're going to stay there. But but don't just sit soaking sour. Take care of yourself and teach your children how to grow. Teach your children how to live and continue on with good works. And, and this is what Christ tells us. Listen, uh He's go therefore and make disciples. Well how do we do that? Well the in Matthew 28 as you go Uh, A a parallel passage would be Matthew chapter 5 that says, listen, you're the salt and the light, and so live in such a way. Let your light shine before men so that they see your good works and glorify God your Father in heaven. Uh, And so we should be active. Our evangelism, yes, is spoken. We share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but... It is also visual. It is seen in what we do. James would tell us, faith without works is, help me out, dead. And so, so when, we, uh, when we see this passage okay, and apply it to them and to us, uh, we trust the one who is speaking. We're active in good works. And then, third, he says, seek the welfare or the peace of the city. Uh, pray to the Lord. For the land. And and this is where not only are we to be active where we're at in doing good, but we should seek those around us, their welfare, and pray for the, the land that we live in. This is one thing that the church is called to do on a daily basis, that as we go and make disciples, Jesus said, teaching baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Uh, and, and there's a reminder for us that we are transforming the world around us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That We don't just share the gospel, but we are sharing the gospel to make disciples so that the world can be changed. Romans uh, reminds us that this whole world is, uh, is condemned because of the uh, turning, uh, turning their back on God, denying God, and rejecting God. And, and, and we live under that wrath now. But Christ took the wrath for us so that we might be changed and made new Second Corinthians. We are new creatures. We are now ambassadors to this world, and we share the light of the gospel. So we seek peace or prosperity for the world. Jesus would say, blessed are the peacemakers, and, and we make peace by sharing, according to Ephesians 6, this gospel of peace that we have. We, we wear that as shoes uh, that everywhere we walk, we're trying to bring peace to the the world around us through Jesus Christ. So understand, we we know Christ and we we trust His word. We we're active in our faith by doing good works, but we are preaching the gospel of peace and praying for the land, the people around us to be saved. Uh, and then look at verse ten, where he says, "When seventy years is completed, I will visit you." And so they were to expect. God's return to them to deliver them and get them out of captivity. And much like that, our evangelistic outreach should not just be about what Christ has done in his first. Uh, coming his earthly ministry death burial resurrection but that we remind people he is coming again and we should expect the Lord's return our Savior Jesus Christ is going to return one day we don't know when we know that we're closer to it today than we were yesterday so we should proclaim with joy and excitement that he is returning and when he returns that we should enjoy and desire the lord above our own possessions look at this he says i then you will call upon me and come and pray to me i will listen to you you will seek me and you will find me now contextually for the uh, israelites when they came out of captivity it was because god said the time is completed you can return and cyrus gives the decree and they're able to go back and 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 God does fulfill his word. And he tells him, I want you to desire me above your own possessions. But for us today, we know that there is a place waiting for us, heaven, where a new heaven, a new earth, where Christ, we will be with him forever. And my desire is not for possessions of heaven. My desire is to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Revelation twenty two five tells us that we shall see his face. And that, that is my heart. That is my hope. And I and I pray that that's what changes. Because remember, the reason they were going into captivity in the first place is because they didn't love God like they should. They didn't follow Him. They committed idolatry and immorality. And, and God is going to use this as discipline to change their heart. How do we know this? Well, look at Jeremiah chapter 31. He talks about this new covenant. And he tells them, In verse 31, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with your fathers. He said, verse 33, But this is the covenant which I will make. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. If you... Miss this point. You missed the whole reason for captivity. Captivity was not just about discipline and punishment. Captivity was about change. He wanted to use this to begin a change in their heart. Now, ultimately, we know the new covenant would come in Jesus Christ about 500 years later. But we today are not bound to a law. We are not bound to the captivity of sin. We now have Christ and the Holy Spirit in us. And this is why evangelism is good news. The gospel is good for us, is that we have the one who is speaking that changes our hearts to follow him. Because of Christ, death, burial, resurrection, and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are changed and we are not like the Israelites were in, in this time. And so remember, when God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, it's not just about the land. It's not just about their houses. It's not just about Babylon or Judah. It's not just about a temple. The plans God had for us were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And now... We walk in an abundance of life because of Him. And I pray that you're reminded of that. I pray that encourages you today and that we would see that the evangelistic outcry of Jeremiah 29 and 31 is is the same evangelistic outcry with a New Testament understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can trust the God who speaks. We can be active in faith for Him. We can share the gospel and pray for the people around us. We can expect that Christ is Going to return, and we can desire the Lord above all who is reigning in our hearts. But understand if you're praying for peace today, plans for peace were dependent upon obedience, and we cannot expect the peace of God to rule our hearts if we do not submit to obedience to follow His commands. As we close out our episode today, I want to uh, share with you a moment in church history. This is Throwback Thursday. And our moment in church history actually dates to July the 6th, 1415. So just about 600 years ago, there was a man by the name of John Huss. John Huss was a priest in Prague. He was uh, set apart, ordained as a priest in uh, 1401 and served for about 14 years uh, as a priest in Prague. He taught at Charles University, and he preached at Bethlehem Chapel. And during this time, as we discussed last week, uh, John Wycliffe and his teachings and writings that had been burned had actually made their way into Prague and uh, and were being taught. John Huss was, uh, was te- teaching a lot of what uh, Wycliffe had taught, and he spoke out widely against the pope and the king and religious leaders that were uh, kind of asserting their own authority and trying to trying to create their own kingdoms. In fact, John wrote a book called On the Church. Uh, and when he wrote this book, it, it defended the authority of religious leaders such as the pope uh, and, and bishops, but did so to remind them, listen, you have an authority given by God, but uh, you are not God. You do not. Uh, you you are not uh, a second um, uh you are not second to God. You're you're, you're man, and so um, you're not uh, to assert your authority in some way to manipulate and dictate over certain things. So there was great, uh, great outcry over this by the religious leaders of that day, and so he was summoned to what was called the Council of Constance in 1415. And when he's taken before the council, they threaten his life. And they say, hey, you are teaching error. You are teaching heresy. And he says, I am not. Uh, I'm teaching truth. And one of the famous statements he makes is, he said, I would not for a chapel full of gold recede from the truth. Uh, So he was formally condemned by the church on July the 6th, 1415, and taken out to be executed. And as he's going out there, uh, they're burning a lot of his books and a lot of the writings out in a courtyard. And he cried out before the crowd and the fire. He said, I have never thought nor preached except with the one intention of winning men, if possible, from their sins. And so today I will gladly die. And he did. He was burned uh, at stake. His death, though, led to an overthrow of the Catholic Church Empire uh, in in uh, in that nation, and the followers of his created a movement known as the Unity of the Brethren. Um, John Huss has uh, been uh, been studied his life, his teachings, his work uh, been studied for uh, centuries now, and he definitely made an impact on our Christianity today because of of what he and Wycliffe, uh, the Morning Star of the Reformation. And, uh, and many others within the next hundred years would do for Protestantism and, uh, and, and for Christianity as a whole. So John Huss represents for us a purity of the gospel that reminds us that only Jesus is our Savior. And because of that, uh, he's worth studying Remember that as we talk about evangelism, men like John Huss understood evangelism is not complete until the evangelized become the evangelist. And we need to get the gospel to the world. And the gospel is only good news if it reaches them in time. Hey, I love you. I'm praying for you. Stakes in the ground.